Amen. Let's pray. Every year we thought was wasted. Every night we cried how long. All of them will be nothing but a passing moment, Jesus, in your victory song. Lord, we need that today. We need that every day. We need every day to be reminded, King Jesus, of your reign. And to be reminded every single day of what you are doing through your spirit to bring us into the fullness of life in your presence. God, we thank you for your word and the way it speaks to us to show us what you are doing. What you have planned from before the foundations of the earth to bring a people to yourself. We thank you for the way you give us pictures throughout history. To help us see this grand plan and to understand what you are accomplishing. We thank you for giving us your law, to show us what you are like and to teach us what godliness looks like. And for giving us your spirit in Christ Jesus and writing that law on our hearts and enabling us through new hearts to obey. We pray that you'd help us now as we continue our study of your word, specifically our study of your law. Would you help us behold wonderful things from your law? And would you satisfy us with your love that we see there? And would you help us to long for that day when everything will be made right in Christ Jesus? Satisfy us for what we need and accomplish what you intend through your spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. uh, Why don't you walk up to me? I asked Ruby to grab me a water bottle and I do not want to be clocked in the head with that. If you've got a Bible with this morning, go ahead and open up to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. Specifically verse 12. This morning, we are continuing our series through the Ten Commandments. We have been taking a little bit more time to work through the Ten Commandments than I originally intended, and it has been good to look at them through the lens of Christ and to ask, how does King Jesus fulfill this command and change it and give us a new pattern for obedience to God and a new power through His Spirit to obey God? As we've looked at these commandments, we've taken them two at a time. And today I'm going to break that pattern and take only one at a time. The pairing for today originally was for children to honor their father and their mother. And the command, do not murder. And tying those two together as children don't kill your parents seemed like probably not the most helpful way for us to approach this commandment today. So we're going to save that. We're going to go over 
You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal together next week. And today we're just going to focus on that commandment for children to honor your parents. As we've done every week thus far, let's remind ourselves of the Ten Commandments as a whole through the New City Catechism, question number eight. So Sojourners Church, respond to this question with me. What is the law of God stated in the Ten Commandments? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not covet. Amen. The law of the Lord. Friends, we are going to focus, as I said, on honor your father and your mother this morning. We are doing this because when our study of the Ten Commandments, we are seeing that by looking at God's law, we learn what God is like, how he has created this world, what his character is like. We learn how this law points to Jesus by being fulfilled in him as the fulfillment of all the law. And we learn what it looks like to live a Godward life centered on love of God and love of neighbor. And so we're going to ask that question about this commandment today. What does that look like? We're going to trace, as we've done in the past couple weeks, this process, these three steps of exegesis or understanding what God's word is saying, interpreting it, applying it. Through these three steps, we're going to look at this command for children to honor your parents. We're going to start with looking at the original meaning and purpose of this law. What did it mean for God to tell Israel when he gave these commandments, honor your father and your mother? What did it mean and why did God give it this way? So we're going to start in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Exodus 20, verse 12, hear the word of the Lord. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord God has given you. The first question we need to think about in understanding what this command means is what did God mean by honor? What did God mean to honor your parents? When we look at the rest of the counsel of scripture, we see kind of three casts to this sense of honor your parents. The first one is that honor refers to respect. The kind of respect we would show God or his word or his ways. The kind of respect that we are to show parents. Children are to show towards their mother and towards their father. We read in Leviticus, every one of you shall revere his mother and his father and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Leviticus 19, 3. Some of this sense of revering comes from the the punishments for not doing it like exodus 21 15 and 17 whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death striking them hitting them being not showing them the kind of honor the kind of reverence the kind of respect that they ought to whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death again 
not showing them the kind of respect that they are due. This was the consequence under the old covenant of failing to uphold this command to honor your parents, that you would be put to death. Proverbs puts it in very striking language. Proverbs 30, verse 17. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens and the valley, or of the valley and eaten by the vultures. That's no uncertain language that you ought to not mock or scorn your parents. Right? Honor your father and mother. Show them the due respect that you ought to. That's the first kind of aspect of honor. Another aspect of honor has to do with obedience. Honor having to do with obedience. Listening to instruction like we see again in Proverbs. Proverbs 1, 8 through 9. Hear, my son. When the Bible says hear in the Old Testament, it's talking about hearing and obeying. When God says in Deuteronomy 6, hear, O Israel, he doesn't just want them to hear with their ears, he wants them to obey. Okay, So hear, my son, obey, my son, your father's instruction. And forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Honor your father and your mother by hearing their instruction and forsaking not their teaching. Or in Proverbs 3, 11 through 12, sometimes it's not just instruction, but sometimes it's, it's discipline that is reactive to our disobedience, right? We all experience this with our parents at one time or another. Proverbs 3, 11 to 12, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. This is talking about the Lord. Or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Right? So this discipline that God is doing, in other words, is analogous to the kind of discipline that a father does. The expectation being that fathers are going to discipline their children and the children ought to submit to that discipline, ought to be obedient towards that discipline. So honoring your parents means this kind of respect and reverence, this kind of obedience to instruction and submission to discipline. And it means going into Jesus interpreting this law in the New Testament, it means a kind of gratitude that offers provision for parents as well. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees in Matthew 15, 4-6. He said, God commanded, honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. Right? He's quoting those verses we just read. But you say, speaking to the Pharisees, if anyone tells his father or mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. In other words, what he was rebuking is Pharisees of the day who would look at their parents in need, whatever you would have gained from me, in other words, look at their parents in need and say, you know what? I can't help you because I have devoted this to God. And Jesus is saying, you're missing the point of following God's commands if you neglect honoring your parents for the sake of giving to God. Honoring your parents in this way is giving to God, Jesus is saying. So we're called, as children in the law, in the Ten Commandments, to honor parents by respecting them, by obeying them, and by showing gratitude for their godly discipline and direction. Why would God target parents? Why would he think this way? And and why would this be so important that it goes in the ten words that he gave Moses up on the mountain that he wrote with his own finger? Why would parents 
And the relationship between father and mother and children rate that high. I believe it's because God had put his people in his promised land and told them that if they keep the covenant, they will experience blessing. Right? This, this, this command that God gives to his people has a promise, doesn't it? Exodus twenty twelve. right? Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. This is the purpose statement given right in the command, right? Why this command was given, so that your days may be long. What's the connection, though, between honoring a father and a mother and long days? It's in the role of the father and mother in the covenant community, right? Deuteronomy 32, verses 45 to 47, is one place in Deuteronomy, there's many, that tells us what parents were supposed to do. And when Moses had finished speaking all the words to all Israel, he said to them, Take to heart all the words by which I am warning you today, that you may command them to your children, that they may be careful to do all the words. So listen to God's commands, so that you can tell them to your children and command them to obey God's commands. Why? For it is no empty word for you, but your very life. And by this word, you shall live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. Moses was giving this command. God was giving this command through Moses to Israel as they stood outside of the promised land, waiting to go into this land flowing with milk and honey, this land of abundance, this land of promised blessing. And they learned all of God's commands And the curses that would come upon them if they would refuse to obey God's commands. And then Moses exhorted them, teach these commands to your children. Some of them are old enough right now to hear them themselves, but some of them aren't. Teach them to your children and your children's children and your children's children after that. So that they may know how to live according to God's ways in the land and they may experience long life in the land. Because what would happen to God's people if they rejected his covenant in the land? What would happen to Israel living in the promised land if they rebelled against King Yahweh? We know from the Old Testament what happens to them. They're exiled. They're removed from the land. They don't experience long life in the land. But the Assyrians are raised up to come and to take them into exile. The Babylonians are raised up to come and take them into exile. They're put back in slavery. Because of a rejection of following God in his ways. So God, in provision for these children, told them, honor your parents. This is a direct way that this command is functioning. Parents discipling their children in the ways of Yahweh. But there's also an indirect way that this command is functioning. If they do this, they will live long in the land. And if you live long enough in the land, you're going to need a retirement plan, right? And this wasn't like the days of you could invest in your IRA and then withdraw it later. There was no like retirement savings account for parents. Their retirement plan was their children and their children's prosperity caring for them in their old age, right? So indirectly, God is not only providing for the long life in the land of the children, but he's providing for long life in the land of the parents. If they obey God's commands and keep his word, they will continue to honor their parents. They will continue to make provision for their parents. They won't be like the Pharisees were in neglecting their parents for the sake of serving God. They will see care for their parents as serving God, returning to them this gratitude that is called for in the law. 
So the meaning is clear. Honor your parents. Show them this respect. Submit to their discipline and direction. The purpose, so that you may live long in the land. The New City Catechism summarizes it this way. Friends, respond with with this answer with me as I ask this question. Again, just trying to engage our minds in the New City Catechism, reminding ourselves of what God's word teaches. What does God require in the fifth commandment, sojourners? That we love and honor our father and our mother, submitting to their godly discipline and direction. That's the summary of what God requires in the command, right? It's, it's relatively clear. It's not terribly hard. It's something that's seen commonly in our society around us, right? For years, for, for, for centuries, different cultures have placed high honor on parents and have called children to honor their parents in this way as a reflection of God and his ways. We want to ask ourselves, though, how does this law teach us then about God and his ways? And how is it ultimately fulfilled in Christ Jesus? That's when we think about theological significance. What does it tell us about God and his ways? What does it tell us about Jesus and his fulfillment of this law? Because that leads to then how we are to understand it. First of all, we see in Scripture this pattern that God establishes parental authority for the good of his people, right? So they can stay in the land and experience life and blessing. This parental instruction is meant as one way of maintaining this covenant faithfulness that they're called to. But that's not all it's meant for. It's meant to serve analogically. An analogy is comparing one thing to another thing, right? It's meant to serve analogically to help God's people understand what it means to do something else. So sometimes, you know, I'm teaching Mal to drive and trying to help him understand stoplights. And I might use an analogy to help him understand stoplights. Or I might use an analogy to help him understand when he has the right of way and when he doesn't and those kind of things. We use analogies all the time and God uses analogies in scripture to help us understand his word and his ways. This analogy of children honoring your parents, this picture is meant to teach us how to show honor in other relationships of authority. Right? Because parents have authority over their children. Their children owe them honor. It's meant to teach us how to honor other authorities. And the ultimate authority is meant to teach us about is Yahweh and his authority. God and his authority. How do we honor God as the ultimate authority, the ultimate father? What we see in scripture is this pattern of Israel, not just being called Israel, God's people, but being called Israel, God's son, like in Exodus chapter four, verse 22, when Moses is talking or when God is instructing Moses on what to say to Pharaoh, he says this, then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. There's many other places in the Old Testament where God refers to Israel as his firstborn son. Hosea 11, he says, out of Egypt, I have called my son. Other places in scripture, he talks this same way. Deuteronomy 32, 5 through 6. He says this about his children. They have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. 
Do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is not he your father who created you, who made you and established you? In other words, God, because Israel is his child, expects the kind of honor he expects children to show parents to be shown to him by them, right? If you, if I, if you are my son and I am your father, ought you not honor me? You've learned this from your family relationships, right? Micah, or excuse me, Malachi, chapter 1, verse 6, God applies this to the priest's dishonor of him. He says, a son honors his father and his servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I'm a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. In other words, these relationships that exist on the horizontal plane, you and I and uh, between us and our parents exist as a picture that God has created to show us what it looks like actually to relate to him, to help us understand what kind of relationship he calls for. So when he's calling children to honor their parents, he's calling them to do that in a way that teaches them then what it looks like to honor God. The author of Hebrews picks this up in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 12. Chapter 12, verses 7 to 11, he says this, It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. In other words, the author of Hebrews is seeing our relationship between our earthly parents and the discipline that they give us, our earthly father and how he disciplines us, And how we relate to God and his discipline. We are trained by godly parents to submit to their godly discipline and direction. And we learn then what it looks like later in life as we understand God in his providence is disciplining me. Teaching me his ways. And it hurts. But it's going to produce peaceful fruits of righteousness. And it helps us understand I need to submit to God in an analogous way, in a similar way to how I submitted to my parents. God created and established this parental authority to teach his people how to honor him as the ultimate authority, to teach them how to relate vertically, human beings, to God. Because we need pictures, because we're not God. We need pictures to help us understand. Not only that, though. See, God didn't create the family at Sinai, right? He didn't... didn't, Give the law and say, I need, to, I need to find a picture for this honor relationship that you're supposed to have with me. I know I'll make some families and I'll kind of break you guys apart. Family, children and parents, has its roots in all the way back in Genesis, in creation. Right? Family was created by God as the fundamental unit of relationship. We read about that in Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 2, 23 to 24 Then the man said, after Eve is created, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. 
This is the creation of marriage. A man and a woman leaving their parents, becoming one flesh together. Not only that, but God gives this in the context of having given Adam and Eve another command. Genesis 1.28 And God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Go out and be fruitful and multiply. Have children. Procreate. In the context of this one flesh union of marriage, be fruitful and multiply. And then eventually... Your offspring will leave and cleave to other offspring and more families will be made and the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. That's what God intended. That's what God commanded from his people when he first created them. He created this family unit as a fundamental unit of relationship to teach us how to relate to his authority vertically. But not only that, but to teach us how to relate to others, how to show honor where honor is due in other relationships. How to relate horizontally to people. We learn by the very nature of parents as those who give us life in the physical sense, right? God breathes his spirit into us, but our parents give us physical life. We learn from that relationship that there is a natural honor that we ought to show them. The whole world picks that up. That's why parents are called to honor their their, uh, or excuse me, children are called to honor their parents in many, many cultures. This kind of relationship teaches us how to pay honor to whom honor is owed. This is why it starts the second half of the Ten Commandments. Because remember, the Ten Commandments, the first table of the commandments, is all about honoring God. And the second table of the commandments is all about loving our neighbor. Right? So we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We don't make, have any gods before him. We don't make any idols. We don't use his name in vain. We honor the Sabbath day. We rest in him. And then we're called to show this kind of honor to our parents. There's an extension into all other relationships. And that's why it heads this second half. So the parent-child relationship, as we see it in Scripture, the reason it's in our Ten Commandments is because this kind of honor from a child to a parent is so foundational teaching with a picture about relationships and is so formative teaching explicitly parents telling you how to relate to other people, right? Everybody's parents tried to teach them how to be loving to their neighbor around them, right? That's what we're called to do as parents, how to love God and love others is what we try to teach our children. How does Christ change things? Then. This is all true in the Old Testament, all the way through. How does Jesus change this? What does Jesus do that makes this so different for us? That's the question we want to ask, right? We've been using this lens diagram to think about this. How is this law affected by Jesus' fulfillment? Some laws are, are, go straight through, like light through a lens. Sometimes the lens bends the light. Some laws are changed slightly or extended. Some laws are just done away with. Sometimes... Sunglasses don't let certain light in, right? How does Jesus change this law? That's what we want to ask. The first way that we need to think about Jesus changing this law and giving us a new pattern for what it looks like to honor your parents is that Jesus is the true son. Jesus is the true son. He's the true Israel and called, therefore, the true son 
This is said explicitly with Matthew 2 connecting Hosea 11 to Jesus. So all the way back in the Old Testament, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, the prophet Hosea, speaking for God, says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. And then when Jesus was, being, was born, there was this persecution and this threat that children under a certain age would be killed because Herod didn't want a new king to arise over Judah. And so Joseph and Mary took baby Jesus and they fled to Egypt, right? And Matthew interprets this for us. Matthew 2 verses 14 to 15 And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Jesus is the true son, the the consummate son. Jesus is the best son. And as the best son, he fulfills perfectly the command to honor your parents. We read about in Luke chapter 2, verses 48 to 51, this this story of jesus being part of this caravan and then missing and his parents panicking and wondering where he is and eventually they find him and he's in the temple and he's teaching these teachers of israel about his father and he says i'll have didn't you know i would be in my father's house and they don't understand in verse 50 it says they did not understand what he was saying the saying that he spoke to them but verse 51 is what i want you to notice And he went down with them and came to Nazareth Nazareth, and was submissive to them. The king of kings and the Lord of lords, born as a baby, learned to honor his parents in obedience to the command of the law. He was submissive to Mary, his biological mother, and Joseph, his adoptive father. Not only that, though, he consistently in his life honored his heavenly father, right? Over and over, John talks this way, and other Gospels talk this way. Jesus says in John 5, whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. He's obeying his mission from his Father. John eight forty nine, when he's accused of having a demon, he says, No, I don't have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. Or John seventeen four, when he's praying to God towards the end of his ministry, facing the cross, he defines what he did. In his living this life and submitting to death on this cross, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Jesus, as the perfect son, fulfills this command to honor your parents. That's first of all how it changes. Jesus fulfills it, does it perfectly, shows us what it looks like. Not only that, though, he changes family dynamics in a unique way. As the consummate son of God, Jesus expands family relationships. We see this hinted at in Matthew 12, 49 to 50. Jesus' mother and brothers are calling for him as he's in this, in this uh, house. And there's so many people clamoring around for his attention. And they say, let him know that his mother and his brothers want to speak to him. And Jesus says, stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother whoever does the will of the father who is in heaven is my brother and sister and mother whoever does the will of the father in heaven is my family jesus is saying this is what it means to belong to the family of god it's to do the will of the father in heaven jesus is redefining the boundaries of a particular family paul picks this up in first timothy 5 when he talks about our relationship with one another in the church 
Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. We relate to one another within the family of God as brothers and sisters. And we respect and honor those older in the family of God than us. Those in positions of authority over us. Those in uh, those with wise life experience, we honor them as fathers and mothers in the faith. So Jesus expands these family relationships and turns our understanding on what it means to be part of a family in a different direction. He teaches us through his actions and through his words, and the New Testament authors teach us as they reflect on the life of Jesus, that our most fundamental relationships are now sons and daughters, brothers and sisters together under one father. Right? This is what it means to belong to the family of God. Romans 8.29 says that those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Why? So that in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Jesus did what he did and God sent him to do what he did so that he could make Jesus the firstborn among many brothers. And when he's talking here, he's talking about brothers and sisters, male and female, the firstborn among many. Romans eight fifteen to 16, the spirit comes into us through Christ and we receive this spirit of adoption. Paul writes, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So Jesus expands this definition of what it means to be born into the family of God so that it's no longer were you born into the right ethnic family, but are you under this firstborn among many brothers? Have you come to know Christ? Is his spirit in you? And are you part of this new family? This Expanding of family relationships, though, does not nullify the call for biological children to honor their biological parents. Paul reaffirms what the command says in Ephesians 6 and in, uh, in Colossians 3. Even in 1 Timothy 5, he hints at it. 1 Timothy 5, 3 to 4, after just saying, relate to one another within the church as father, mother, brother, sister... He says, honor widows who are truly widows, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. In other words, this call to honor one another in family relationships in the church does not negate the call to show honor to your relatives, right? He doesn't want the church to take over caring for these widows who have families who could take care of them. And honor God by obeying his commands. Likewise in Ephesians 6, 1-3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Jesus does not nullify this obligation that we have to honor our parents. So this law comes through the lens of Christ and is expanded in how it applies but its, its heart is not nullified. Its heart is not done away with. We still ought to honor our father and our mother. But we're given a new means to do so. And friends, this is so important. Because God's people lacked his spirit 
in the Old Testament. And so they were given this law, honor your father and your mother, but they had no power from God within themselves to obey this law. And so often it was just a law of condemnation, not leading to life. What we see in Ephesians chapter 5 and 6 is this pattern. Ephesians 5 is talking about being careful how we walk. And Paul ends this kind of chain with 518. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. He's calling for this new Spirit-filled walk by his people, by the people of Christ. And then he says a little bit lower in Ephesians 5.21, calls his people to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And he picks up that thread when he gets to chapter 6, verse 1. Because he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. What we see is that Christ coming brings this power to obey the command. That means now we obey the command to honor our parents. Not because it's in the Ten Commandments. But out of reverence for Christ. Empowered by His Spirit. This is so important. Because as we'll talk about in a moment. Honoring your father and your mother in a day and age of modern families is really hard and confusing. This is how Jesus changes things. And this is going to help us in a moment as we think about how to apply this. I want to first clarify what I think is the love principle behind this law. That's the last step of theological reflection. What is the love principle? How does this teach us to love God and love our neighbors? One way, which is not the way we're going to focus on today, is that love of God and neighbor requires that we honor God-given authorities. This is implicit in the command to honor our parents. To honor our father and mother as God-given authorities, the most basic fundamental, extends to honoring other God-given authorities. That's not what we want to focus on this morning, though. I want to focus on the second aspect of it, which is that love of God and neighbor requires that we honor God-given family relationships. Love of God and neighbor requires that we honor God-given family relationships. The way this works is that as we are trained by our parents, as our God-given authorities over us, to honor God, we honor them in response to the call from God to honor them, in obedience to God. And we learn from them, as we honor them, we listen to their godly discipline and direction, and we learn more about what it looks like to honor God. So there's this kind of reciprocal relationship between honoring God and honoring our parents. In other words, as we honor our parents, we learn more what it is to honor God. And as we honor God, we're called more to honor our parents, right? And out of this cycle, this reciprocal relationship, flows all of the honor that we show in other familial relationships, including the family of God. Out of this honor of God and honor of parents flows honor in horizontal relationships. But we start with honor In the family, honor at the most basic level. At the most basic level, what this command calls us to do is children, obey your parents. It's pretty simple. So kids, listen to mom and dad. That's what it calls you to do. Listen with the promise that it will go well with you if you do. Obey your father and your mother. This has particular reference to children who are under parental authority. We saw in Genesis, eventually you will leave and cleave, Lord willing, and you will no longer be under your parents' authority. But while you are, obey their authority. In the Lord, motivated out of love for Christ, 
listen to them. This is the most basic of what it calls us to do. This is not all it calls us to do, though. Paul expands on this by adding verse 4 of Ephesians 6, right? The call to honor your father and your mother does not directly talk about the responsibility of parents, but it assumes that the parents are teaching their children how to follow Yahweh, right? Obey your parents in the Lord assumes that your parents are teaching you how to follow God and his ways. So in this command is implicit that parents have a responsibility. A responsibility to disciple your children. Paul emphasizes the father's responsibility. And I think that's important because we see a pattern in scripture of fathers having responsibility for their household. Dads, you ought to be responsible for discipling your children. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is important for us to hear because we live in a day and age when spiritual matters are considered women's work. And that ought not be the way it is, guys. You have a responsibility, if you are a father, to care for your children and to care for your family as a whole as the Lord cares for his family. You represent what God's care for his children is like. Right? Hebrews 12 talks about us understanding what God cares, how God cares for us by thinking about how our fathers cared for us. Dads, what kind of picture are you putting forward of what God is like to your children? That's what we ought to be thinking. I'm not telling you that as someone who does it well. This is a struggle. This is hard to do. It takes a lot of work. We have a lot of young dads in our congregation who are going to learn about this and are going to make tons of mistakes doing it. There is grace and forgiveness in Jesus Christ, but I want you to hear this call. You must disciple your children. You must teach them the ways of God. Repent of your failure to discipline your children, like I have to often, and then go ahead and disciple your children the way you ought. We get a pattern for it in Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign in your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Dads, you don't really have to wear phylacteries, the funny box that goes on your head that it's talking about in here. But love God's word and talk about it with your kids. It's really, really that simple. To train your children up in the way that they should go does not require complex formulas for family discipleship. It requires that you learn to love the Lord your God and you learn to love his word and you learn to long to teach your children to love his word. That's what it requires. That's what we're called to do. This is a call to dads, but I want to think back now on what do you do as a child if your dad or your mom doesn't do that? Or if you live in a complex modern family, what if your parents are divorced? How do you honor your father and your mother if your parents are divorced? And maybe you have several fathers and and several mothers. Maybe there's remarriage going on. What do you do if you're raised by extended family because your biological parents have failed somehow 
have abandoned you, maybe? What do you do if your parents aren't following Jesus or trying to help you follow Jesus? How do you honor adult parents who want nothing to do with the Lord as you yourself become an adult? How do you honor your parents if they are abusive or drunk? Or other sins have consumed them? We live in a society where we're going to have to answer the question, how do you honor your parents when you have two moms or two dads? Because you've been raised in a home that celebrates homosexuality. How do you honor those parents as a Christian child? What if your family is so broken that it looks nothing like God's good design? How do you show honor? I want to speak to that because I think that's so important for us to think about. Maybe you don't have that kind of brokenness in your family, but we live in a time and an age when I'm assuming most of you do. I know for a fact many of you do. I have that kind of brokenness in my own family. How do we honor our parents with that kind of brokenness? First of all, we must acknowledge that that is truly broken. We must acknowledge that that is truly broken. If you don't have children and mom and dad in your family, if you're not conforming to that design of Genesis 2 and Genesis 1, that is brokenness. We live in a day and an age that responds to brokenness by redefining what God's good design is. They wouldn't call it God's good design. But they would say a family consists of people who love each other. Friends, that's not what God designed in creation as a family. It's good that people love each other, but that's not what God designed. We live in a day and age that celebrates two moms, two dads, transgender parents, non-binary parents, etc. Back in June during Pride Month, Blue's Clues had a song, uh, animated song that celebrated families of all different types. Families. But they're not. They're broken. They're incredibly broken. Do not respond to the brokenness of your family by trying to redefine what a beautiful family looks like. Do not respond by calling that brokenness beautiful because it's not. You must acknowledge the brokenness in your family. Any beauty that's present is not present because of the brokenness, but present in spite of it because of God's grace. So friends... If your family is so broken that it doesn't fit God's good design, acknowledge that brokenness, but don't just stay there. Acknowledge that brokenness and let that lead you to lament and repentance. If that brokenness is due to your own actions, that ought to lead you to repentance, right? But I think so often when we think about honoring our parents in this day and age, that brokenness is not due to anything that you did. It's a brokenness that's thrust upon you because of the sins of others. And the biblical category we have for that kind of brokenness is lament. We take a look at the brokenness, we acknowledge that it's there, and we respond by crying out to God, Why, O Lord? We respond by crying out to God, This is not right. This is not the way it's meant to be. How long, O Lord, until you repair it? We must learn to lament family brokenness, to help others lament it, to help others grieve over the seriousness of suffering that comes from broken families, to not just respond with, well, your family's just different. It's broken. We ought to lament that, not cold-heartedly 
but with soft hearts that cry out to God on their behalf. So acknowledge that it's broken, repent and lament, and pray for gospel transformation. The only hope for broken families is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only hope for forgiveness for those who have failed to disciple their children is the gospel of Jesus Christ, who forgives sinners, those who do not keep his word. The only hope for families who have embraced sexual perversion in such a way that it's destroyed the relationships around them is repentance and the gospel of Jesus Christ that forgives sinners. Prostitutes, tax collectors, the worst sinners that the Israelites could think of, Jesus himself was a friend to them because they turned to him and they cried to him. So pray for that kind of gospel transformation in your family. Pray for forgiveness. Pray that the one who came to reconcile all things to himself will bring reconciliation into your family, into the broken relationships. Acknowledge the brokenness, repent and lament, pray for gospel transformation. And then friends, seek to obey God by showing Spirit-empowered honor where it is due. This is where the change that Jesus brings is so important. That connection between the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, the call to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, and the command to honor your father and your mother. I don't know what it looks like for a child who was raised in a home with two mommies to honor those mommies. As they grow and come to know the Lord and are trying to walk in his ways. I don't know what that looks like. That requires so much wisdom, so much spirit wrought knowledge. I don't know what it looks like for many of you who are trying to figure out how do I honor adult parents when they aren't following Jesus? How do I, how do I show them honor in their old age when I need to care for them and don't know what to do? Pray for gospel transformation and then seek to obey God by showing spirit empowered honor. Where it is due. Do your best to navigate these complex family relationships. Trying to figure out even sometimes who are my parents. Pray for wisdom. God will grant it. He says he will give wisdom to those who lack it. And ask him. And lastly. Find comfort in the family of God. Find comfort in the family of God. You may never. In this life have a blood family that fits God's design. Some of you, it is too late. You have parents who you wish you could have honored better while they were alive, but they're already dead. Some of you have families that are so broken that it is unlikely that there will ever be reconciliation. You may never have a blood family that fits God's design, but friends, you have a blood-bought family that fits God's design. If you are in Christ Jesus, you can find comfort in the family of God. This is the family that God has for you, where you can find belonging if you don't have a home. This is the family that has a place for you if you have failed to disciple your own children, and now they're grown up and out of your house. We have a church full of little ones who need to know what it looks like to follow the Lord Jesus that you can pour into and you can love and you can disciple. We have a church full of Of those whom you could show honor to as mothers and fathers in the Lord, even if your own parents are already gone. We have a place in the family of God 
for those who have failed to have another chance and for those who feel like they have no hope to find hope because Jesus himself has called us together as a family. And you have a future in this family. The brokenness that you experience in your own family is not the final word. Because the future that we all look forward to is found in Revelation chapter 7 verses 9 to 12. This is the final word on family for you and for I. After this, John says, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and honor, uh, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Friends, the end of all things is not the brokenness that you experience in your own family or the joy and happiness you experience in your own family as conforming to what God has intended. The end of all things is not the Mykonins and the, the Braces. And the Sorensons and the Jacobs. We're not, we're not all divided into those families and, and just, just there. The end result of all things is people from every tribe and tongue and nation gathered together as the family of God. Worshipping King Jesus together. Enjoying the blessing that was promised to those who would honor their fathers and their mothers. Enjoying long life in the new heavens and the new earth that he has given us. So friends, take hope in that. If your family is broken, take hope in that and long for that. And if that's true of those of us with broken families, how much more true of those of us who have experienced the blessing of a mom and a dad in the home who love Jesus and want to teach us about him. Let's pray. Father, we do pray and ask that you would help us to set our eyes and our hope and our longing on that fulfillment of the picture of family that you have given us. One family united under you as father. I thank you that you have adopted us into your family through King Jesus. Would you help us to learn what it is to show you due honor and to in response to your spirit at work in us to show honor to those family relationships we have. I pray that you would help us. I pray that you would bring healing and restoration where there is brokenness. Right now we pray for, for reconciliation in families that there's so much disunity and there's so much animosity towards one another because of sin and because of brokenness. We pray for wisdom for those who are thinking, I don't know how to honor my parents. And we pray for these young kiddos in our midst. Lord, would you help us as the family of God and help their parents directly to disciple them, to know and love King Jesus? And would you grow the fruit? Would you help us to plant and to water? Lord, but you, you give the growth. So we ask you to do it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.